Well, Gonzaga jumped out to a 32-4 lead and pretty much led by 30 or more points the rest of the night against Arkansas Pine Bluff on Tuesday. It gave us a great look at Gonzaga's depth, including June Sukyo and Luka Krinovich. So, what did we learn? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Folks, we're going to discuss 2025, five, excuse me, 2024 five-star prospect Isaiah Harwell. He had recent comments about his upcoming visit to Gonzaga. What does it mean for Mark Few's team? We're also going to talk about a four-star prospect in the class of 2025 that the Zags extended an offer to. Before we get to all that, though, we're going to talk about this win over Arkansas Pine Bluff on Tuesday evening, the first of three Gonzaga games this season against opponents in the SWAC Conference. Our Pine Bluff coming into the game was, I think, 345th at Ken Palm. They were the second worst defensive team in the country, and Gonzaga made them look like it. 111 to 71 is the final score here. Again, the Zags jumped out to a 32 to 4 lead. And from that point on, the game was basically never within even 25 points. It was a complete massacre for Gonzaga in every way, shape, or form. They just dominated this game right out of the shoots. That's what we wanted to see. That's what we needed to see from this Gonzaga team in order for them to be able to play more of the depth. Last week at the same time, we were recording a podcast right here about 8 p.m. on Tuesday after Gonzaga's game against Cal State Bakersfield. And one of the things we talked about was Gonzaga's inability to play, to to give Ryan Nemhart a break, to give Nolan Hickman a break, to give Dusty Stromer a break. That was not the case in this game. We'll talk a little bit more about the depth, how Krinovich did, how June Sakio did, who started, by the way, first career start for June, started in place of Dusty Stromer in this one. But first, I want to talk about the key performances, the good stuff that we saw here. Uh, Massive rebounding advantage for Gonzaga. They ended up out-rebounding the Lions 65-28 to in this one. They had 28 total assists, including 17 in the first half. And it was led by the same two guys who have dominated a lot of Gonzaga's games this season, Graham E.K. and Braden Huff. Braden Huff, excuse me, coming off the bench, 19 points, seven rebounds. He had three blocks. He had 12 points on six of six shooting in the first half. The 19 points led Gonzaga in this game. It was not his career high. He had 21 points against Eastern Oregon earlier this year, but Huff continues to be a prolific scorer coming off the bench for Gonzaga. We still want to see him do it a little bit more consistently against better quality opponents. He was great in that game against USC. I think he had 12 points in that one. Uh, So we certainly, it's not like he's only played well against teams like Arkansas Pine Bluff, like Eastern Oregon, like he did in the Lewis Clark scrimmage game. He, He didn't play great in Maui. I thought he showed some flashes in Maui. He was just it was his first time playing real competition. It was his first like really big road, it was his first road trip at all, in fact, as a, as a player for Gonzaga. So I think it was understandable to see some, some rustiness, some just, he wasn't quite ready for those games, but then to bounce back and play well against USC, I think is a testament to how quickly of a learner he is, how, how adaptable he is as a player. 
we're not going to take a ton out of this game. Again, Arcline Bluff basically has nobody over 6'9". Uh, a lot of Huff's points were opportunistic, and that's one of the things I really like about him is he he has a nose for the basketball. He finds himself in the right spot a lot. And it can look coincidental, especially if you've only watched him play once. You're like, oh, it just seemed like he was in the right spot and just happened to get some easy bunnies at the rim, happened to get some offensive rebounds because the ball bounced his way. But now, you know, we're seven, eight games into the season – it's not a coincidence that it's happening every single game. Like Braden has a nose for the basketball. He finds his spots. He knows where to be. He knows when to move, how to move, where to get the basketball, where to find his way to get to the rim. Uh, he can finish with his left hand. Of course, he can also finish with his right hand. Really impressive stuff from him in the early going this season. And while uh, at this point, we're kind of just yawning ho-hum at 19 points against a team like Arc Pine Bluff, it continues to be impressive how good Braden Huff has been uh, in the first month of the Gonzaga basketball season. Graham E.K., monster in this game as well. No surprise there. Once again, we're, we're going to ho-hum Braden Huff, dropping 19. We're probably going to react the same way to Graham E.K., dropping 17 on 17 points, nine boards on eight of 12 shooting for him. Really fantastic stuff, particularly in the first half. Didn't play much in the second half. Not a lot of the starters played much in the second half, which was a big storyline for this team as well. Uh, before we get to that, Gonzaga, massive scoring advantage in the paint. I actually don't have the final figure in front of me, but I know with about nine minutes left, Gonzaga had 48 points in the paint, and Arc Pine Bluff, who settled for a whole bunch of three-pointers, they only had eight. Now, I want to talk about benching the starters because I think that was a valuable thing that Gonzaga was able to do. We'll talk a little bit more about Yo starting over Dusty. There was a lot of conversation about that, particularly in our Discord channel. If you want to join the Discord channel, again, it is free to do so. There's a link in your show notes, free to join. We're talking throughout the Gonzaga basketball game. There's 30, 40 of us or so consistently talking throughout that game. Really fun way to have cool conversations throughout the contest. But Gonzaga needed to give these guys a break. And yeah, their, their next game is not until Saturday against the University of Washington, a Saturday evening in Seattle. Fantastic game coming up there. But these guys have been playing too much. And, and we didn't see Hickman or Nemhart in the final like seven or eight minutes of this game. Dusty, I know, checked out at the 522 mark. I noted that. Uh, and I think that Hickman and, and, and Nemhard come out, came out shortly before that. So I think the last six minutes or so. But these guys also got big rest in the first half as well. And I think that's critically important for Gonzaga to give those guys a break. They cannot play 40 minutes every single night. We've talked about it extensively on this podcast. We've been calling for more opportunities for those guys when it is appropriate to get a break. That's why it was frustrating that Gonzaga wasn't able to give those guys a break. In that game last week against Bakersfield, of course, there was an illness going around. We found out about that later. Basically, many of the players on the team were sick. Mark Few was sick. We know Ben Gregg was sick. I suspect some of those guys who might have relieved Nemhard and Hickman in that game maybe weren't feeling so well for that contest as well, perhaps part of the reason that that didn't happen. But in this one, again, really good opportunity for these guys to take a break. I thought Nolan Hickman was excellent in this contest. He had 13 points, five assists, three boards, and a pair of steals. But the story about Gonzaga's guards, Nemhard and Hickman, is less about what they did on the floor and more about the amount of time they spent off of the floor. Uh, we usually do good and bad here. There wasn't a lot of bad things to talk about in this game, if we're being perfectly honest. I think the best the most nitpicky thing we can talk about is 15 turnovers, which is an abnormally high number. Now, this game was played at an incredibly frenetic pace on both sides. The amount of possessions both teams had was staggering. Uh, usually, if you're going to score 111 points, you're going to end up with a lot of possessions. And so that's just going to lead to more turnovers. It's also worth acknowledging that many of these turnovers came in the last five minutes of the second half when the score was well 
well well decided. I mean, it was honestly this game was over in the first five minutes, if we're being perfectly honest. But the majority of the turnovers came towards the end of the game. Three of them were by Pavle Stosic. We'll talk more about him. Uh, three of them were by Luka Krinovich. We'll talk about them and one of them in particular coming up as well. But I'm not super concerned about those turnover numbers. I think that that's the kind of thing where if you didn't watch this game and you looked at the box score, there wouldn't be a whole lot to complain about perfectly, you know, just looking at it. It's hard to find too many things to nitpick, but if anybody is looking at the box score and thinking, wow, 15 turnovers, that seems like they shouldn't be turning over that the ball that much against this bad of a defense. I think that's a bit of a red herring stat. I don't think it really accurately describes the game. Yeah, there was a couple dumb turnovers again. We'll talk about one in particular, but it, it, I don't think it's it's something to really worry about or or have any concern about going forward. Well, we saw a ton of Yo, and we saw a ton of Krinovich, and we saw some of, of Pavle Stosic. We saw the walk-ons. We got all sorts of information about guys who don't get to play for Gonzaga very often, and we're going to talk about what we saw, what it might mean for this team going forward, all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Jace Medical. I know we come to sports to escape from some of the crazy realities of real life, but can we just talk for a minute about preparing for those real life things? Because according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics like amoxicillin right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade. I can't imagine a more helpless feeling than getting sick while a supply chain issue keeps me or someone I loved from the life-saving medications that they needed. Thankfully, you can make it through because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics to treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. This stuff could happen to any of us. So visit Jace Medical and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It is never more important than now to be prepared. So go to jacemedical.com and use promo code Locked On to get $20 off your first order. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day as we get into more and more into the month of December leading up to this game against the University of Washington on Saturday. we got Mississippi Valley State early next week and then the big one Friday, December 15th against the Yukon Huskies. Some fantastic basketball coming up for the Zags. Again, make sure you're plugged into the show every single day to get what you need to know about this Gonzaga team in a 30-minute episode. Also, join us on our Discord channel. If you have not done so yet, if you want to talk Zags more than just 30 minutes a day here with me, you can join that Discord channel. We're talking 24-7 there. Going to review our five things to watch heading into this game here for Gonzaga. We talked about this uh, every every episode Every game episode, we either do five keys to victory or five things to watch, depending on the quality of the opponent. In this case, it was more of like, hey, what are we going to be watching for in this game? It's it's not expected to be a close game, but what are the things we're hoping to see, wanting to see, expecting to see? Uh, and so we're going to go through those five things and talk about kind of how they played out in this game. The first thing was the hope that Gonzaga would be able to score 110 points. And I'm very glad I said it at 110 points instead of 120 points, which is what I was considering I was considering trying to shoot for 120 points for Gonzaga. They wouldn't have gotten there, but they did make it to 110 points. They finished with 111 points, 59 at halftime. Uh, just a, a fantastic all-around offensive performance from this team. Again, not playing a good program in Arkansas Pine Bluff defensively and a team that likes to get out in transition. That led to Gonzaga took 
79 field goal attempts, 79 field goal attempts. They made 45 of them. That's 57%. They were 10 of 24 from three. That's 42%. They were 11 of 14 from the free throw line. That's 79%. 57, 42, 79 from the field goal, three-point line, three uh, free throw line. Phenomenal offensive performance from the Zags. Not surprised they got to 110 in this one, but it's always good to see the offense chugging along like it was in this one. Key number two was lots of Luka Krinovich. I copied this key over from last week in that Bakersfield game where, of course, we did not see any of Luka Krinovich, and that was very much not the case in this game. Krinovich came in early in the first half. He came in uh, in the middle of the second half. He played pretty much the entire second half of the second half in this game. As I'm recording this shortly after the game, the ESPN app has not updated the total number of minutes for each player, but I suspect Krinovich was over 15 minutes in that range at least for Gonzaga. Seven points, three boards, three assists, for him on three of five shooting. He had four very quick points. He basically scored four points in the first, I think, two minutes of being on the floor. And, and he would have played more minutes, except later in the first half, he had an opportunity for what looked like a pretty easy bucket. He tried to get fancy and make a Harlem Globetrotters-esque behind-the-back pass that sailed into the crowd. And he was very quickly yanked off the floor by Mark Few. Just one of those things you learn as a freshman. You don't do that in the Gonzaga program. There was a lot of conversation about it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's just a learning It's a learning curve for a young player. Uh, you got to learn those kind of things. I thought I was glad to see Mark Few do that. He, he stuck to his kind of ground. He, I've seen him bench plenty of players in the past for doing this. I have a distinct memory of Gary Bell getting benched for trying to bounce a pass off the backboard to a teammate. Uh, I think Mark Few basically grabbed him and pulled him off the floor onto the bench. So this is not new. This is not cause for concern. This is not uh, anything that's going to last beyond the, today as we're recording this shortly after the game. But uh, it did cost Luca potentially the opportunity to play a few more minutes. But I liked what we saw from him for the most part. He had a really great play where he came down the floor. Uh, Braden Huff posted up for a three. He dribbled past him, turned, and kind of shovel pass fed him for a wide open three. Those were really just the kind of cerebral plays you like to see from a guy who you expect to eventually be able to play some point guard minutes in this program. He did have three turnovers. Uh, he did have some mistakes outside of just the, the you know the the obvious one that everybody saw. But I think that we're seeing a, a player who is developing, who is growing, who is finding his his way in the system. He still hasn't played any minutes against really legitimate competition, and and I'm not sure how many minutes he will play against super legitimate competition. You know, I don't expect to see him against UConn or San Diego State uh, or Kentucky later in the year, but I'm glad to see him getting a, a big run here because I think he needs it. And again, more importantly, uh, the guards need a break. So you need to get Hickman and Nemhard some rest. You need to get Krinovich some exposure, some experience to Division One basketball. This is a great opportunity to do both those things, and I'm glad it came together the way that it did. A lot of the same things can be said for Jun Sakio as well. Yo needs some exposure. He needs some playing time. Dusty Stromer needs some rest. And, and we saw that bear out immediately as Yo was entered into the starting lineup. Caused a little bit of a panic for people for about 15 minutes, hoping everything was okay with Dusty. It turned out Dusty was just fine. He had eight points, four boards, four assists in this one. But Yo getting the opportunity to start. Now, he only played about five minutes before Stromer came in and replaced him. And in fact, Stromer did start the second half. Instead of Yo, a bit odd to see that, but not anything that I would read too much into necessarily. Uh, Yo didn't play particularly well in the first half. He only had one rebound and was 0-1 from the field in the first half. He did finish the game with 10 points, four rebounds, and four of six shooting. So he had a much stronger second half. 
Uh, he had his first field goal was on a fast break. Uh, he went through contact, brought the ball over to his left hand and finished. Uh, it was a really nice shot from him. I, I think we continue to see Yo be a player who is great in transition. He is uh, very strong, physical. He can out-athlete his opponents in a significant way. We've seen him look good defensively. He sometimes misses his assignments. He's sometimes a little out of position, but when he is on ball defense, when he is protecting the rim, again, the athleticism stands out in a way. But offensively, he's still just trying to find his rhythm. He's trying to find his flow. He takes shots in situations where maybe the offense didn't call for a shot. He rushes shots every once in a while. You're just seeing him not quite be familiar, comfortable with the system. And he doesn't have a lot of experience playing division one basketball he's played he's been in practices he's been around the team for a while but there it's different when you're out there playing you know playing in real games and so i think he's just he's just still finding a spot i was really encouraged by what we saw from yo in this game especially in the second half and it's worth acknowledging a lot of that second half came against arc pine bluffs backups so you know the 345th best team in the country playing their backup players you know you want to take some of those results a bit with a grain of salt but it was still good to see yo perform well in this game have a strong second half get into double figures for the first time in his gonzaga basketball career uh, i think that'll be the first of many times that he's scoring in double figures for this team one of our keys was to potentially see some of the three big lineups something we've seen a handful of times this season already i thought this might be a good opportunity to try out some of those three big lineups as a, as a way to give the guards even more of a break. If you're playing, you know, Ben Gregg, Graham E.K. and Anton Watson all at the same time, you can maybe slide Stromer to the two and bench one of the point guards. Uh, and we didn't see any of it. It just, it never happened in this game. They didn't need to do it. And so they didn't, they chose not to do it. I don't think that that means much. Uh, I think it is the three big lineup has always been something that, that is born out of necessity. Mark Few does not want to play three bigs at the same time. If he did, he would have done it many years ago when they had uh, Kyle Wilcher and DeMontis Simonis and Shemek Karnowski. He might have done it in that 16-17 season when they had Karnowski, Jonathan Williams, uh, Killian Tilly, and Zach Collins, but he didn't do it in those in those seasons. He didn't do it when they had Chet and Timmy and Anton, I don't think. If, if he did it, it was very rare that that happened with that team as well. He's playing three bigs this year in part because they need to at certain times because they just don't have the guard depth. In this game, when they didn't need to, they didn't do it. Wouldn't read into it any more than that. And then walk-on minutes. And I've, I included uh, Pavle Stosic in the walk-on minutes because I'm not really sure what his role is going to be. And Stosic ended up coming in in the first half. He was the only one of these players who did play in the first half. He scored immediately when he came in in the first half, didn't do much in the rest of the first half, and then played a huge chunk of the second half. I think like I think he played about 10 minutes total, five in the first half, five in the second half, finished the game with four points, three boards, and three turnovers. He was two of two from the field. Uh, he, he looks a little rough, a little rough around the edges. Not shocking. He didn't come to the campus until late September. He's barely been here two months. It's a huge change, huge adjustment for him. We saw him make some careless passes. We saw him pass the ball to teammates who weren't looking. Uh, we saw him be surprised by catching some passes. But we also saw that he's a high-level athlete. He seems like he can jump out of the gym for somebody at his size at 6'9". Uh, he finished his two shots around the rim. My curiosity is whether he's going to redshirt. Him playing in this game is a decent indication that that is probably not the case. He is allowed to play four games, and then if he sits out the rest of the season, he can redshirt. But the you have to apply for you have to apply for a redshirt from the NCAA through a waiver, and they don't have to give it to you. 
And like if Stosic were to play the last two games of the season, if they all of a sudden played him in, in late February and then applied for a waiver, I can almost guarantee you he would not get it. That's not how it works. If he doesn't play for the rest of the season and they apply for a red shirt, he's going to get it. I almost guaranteed. But my guess is that if they're if they wanted to redshirt him, they wouldn't be playing him. So I think there's a chance they're not planning to redshirt him. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. They obviously don't need any more help in the front court, uh, but they are also somewhat short on bodies in general. So maybe they just want to keep him available. They don't have to make a decision on it right now. They didn't have to declare before the season that they're redshirting him. They can make that decision at any point. But I was intrigued to see him play because I'm curious just what kind of player he is. And I like getting to see him on the floor, but I'm also curious why he's playing. And if that means that they're not going to redshirt him this year, we also saw about five minutes from each of Colby Brooks and Joe few in this one, Colby had three points, two boards and an assist. Joe had a pair of assists, did not score. Only player who played for Gonzaga who did not score still has not had a field goal in a Gonzaga uniform. He has scored from the free throw line, but not uh, from the field. He did have a lob to Colby Brooks that Brooks almost threw down. He ended up catching it and laying it in. So not quite an alley-oop from Joe, but still fun to see him get out there and do something pseudo flashy, which I'm sure grinded his dad's gears a little bit on the sideline there. Moving away from this game, 2024 top prospect Isaiah Harwell spoke about Gonzaga and his upcoming visit in February. Plus, the Zags offered a four-star guard in the 2025 recruiting class. More on both of those things after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Folks, score early and score often this college basketball season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The FanDuel app is very, very easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Right now, the Zags currently have 1,001 odds to make the final four. So if you're feeling spicy, if you're like, hey, man, they dropped 111 on Arc Pine Bluff, that means they're a final four team. You want to go drop 20 bucks, you could be $200 richer that third week in March if the Zags are still dancing. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today and kick off the college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out the show today with some recruiting updates. Been a while since we talked Zach recruiting on here. We've got a couple stories here to monitor. First, we're talking Isaiah Harwell. For those of you who are everyday listeners, longtime listeners of the show, we've talked about Isaiah Harwell a handful of times. He is has narrowed his list down to nine, which we already knew. But a recent article at Rivals.com interviewed Isaiah Harwell, spoke to him about the schools he's contacted with, the schools he hasn't been in contact with, and got the general sense, according to their authors, that this is kind of a two-team race. And Harwell made it clear that he has not made his decision. He has not started limiting teams or, or narrowing it down or anything like that. But the general consensus is that Harwell is down to North Carolina and Gonzaga. Harwell indicated in the article that North Carolina is his dream school. That is always a little tough to compete with uh, in, in, the, in the recruiting sense, but Harwell is also from Pocatello, Idaho. He is currently playing at Wasatch Academy in Mount Pleasant, Utah, the same high school as current Gonzaga guard Nolan Hickman. So Gonzaga definitely has some advantages here. Again, seven other schools theoretically in the mix. Those would be Baylor, Houston, Texas, UCLA, Cal, Bama, and Idaho State. Idaho State is where his father played for what it is worth. But it sounds like this is coming down to Gonzaga and UNC. 
And again, the Rivals article indicated that Gonzaga might be able to pull away with their upcoming visit on February 3rd. Harwell's coming to Spokane to watch Gonzaga take on St. Mary's at the kennel. Uh, great opportunity for Harwell to see the place absolutely packed. See Gonzaga get a W against the Gales. Uh, Harwell spoke briefly about this upcoming visit with Rivals.com. He said, quote, I just want to be more involved now on that second visit. I want to really hang out with the team more and see how they work. So this is a second visit to Spokane. He's hoping to get more intel, more insight, more familiarity with the team, with the players, with the program. It sounds like this is a really promising development. I know it's kind of a lot of speak about nothing. Nothing has really dramatically changed and, and won't until he takes that visit. But if this visit goes well and he's been to Spokane twice and he's taken the official visit and the team has showed him around, done what they do on those recruiting visits, there's a real good chance that the Zags land, land, land this kid. And for those of you who need a refresh on who Harwell is, he is the number eighth ranked prospect right now in the class of 2024. He could reclassify to 2023. I've seen a lot of people talking about that. I'm not sure I see the appeal for Gonzaga, quite frankly. Uh, they All of their guards can come back next year. I don't think Hickman or Nembhardt are leaving. So Harwell reclassifying to then come off the bench doesn't make a lot of sense. I'd rather have him get here in 2024. Uh, it's, of course, up to him on what he wants to do there. Certainly, we would take him quite happily to show up in 2023 if that were the case. Uh, he's a six foot five guard again with Sach Academy in Utah. Uh, right now, on three is giving the Zags a 46.5% chance of landing him. They have UNC at 12.3%. I, no disrespect to on three and their predictor, but it's it's not particularly accurate. BYU is still on the list, and they are not even in Harwell's top nine for what it is worth, but still exciting to see the Zags kind of being viewed as the potential favorites here for a top 10 prospect in that class. And then I want to close out the show talking about a 2025 guard, Ifosa Oligu, excuse me. Uh, he's a six foot five guard from Ontario. He plays for Overtime Elite, and he has been offered by Gonzaga. He's the 27th ranked player in the class of 2025. Again, according to On3's composite rankings, On3 ranks him 24th, 24-7 sports, ranks him 30th, ESPN has him 43rd, and Rivals has him 30th. So lots of interest here in Efiosa. He has also received a bunch of offers, a whole bunch of offers. Providence, Mizzou, Maryland, Oregon, TCU, Alabama, Syracuse, Seton Hall, Georgetown, Illinois, Arizona State, Auburn, LSU, Texas Tech, and Mississippi State. That's not even all of them, folks. That's just a huge chunk of the schools that have made Efiosa an offer here. He has taken an official visit to Maryland. He is planning to take an official visit to both Auburn and Mizzou. And frankly, the Zags are pretty late to the party here. Late to the party in the sense that he already has visits scheduled. He's already taken visits. He's already got a bunch of offers. But this is a 2025 kid. So we're a ways away. The Zags may be late to the party, but none of the programs on that list are, are obvious, no doubt, very few players pick Gonzaga over said school. They're not. Again, he took an official visit to Maryland. I think you'd rather go to Gonzaga than Maryland. Not You, you, know, you don't know all the factors, certainly, but a kid from, from Canada where Gonzaga has a very hardy pipeline, including the Nemhards, including Kelly Olenek, including Kevin Pangos, including Rob Sacre, the list goes on. The, the Canadian pipeline is really strong for Gonzaga. We know that. So for, for him to get an offer from Gonzaga to consider a school that has this rich Canadian pipeline, that has a, a reputation for winning, that turns guards into NBA players the way they have, 
I think he's going to have to consider this. And I don't know his whole process here. I don't know how seriously he'll consider Gonzaga, but they have made him an offer, which means they've likely been in contact. They have watched him. They've scouted him. They've talked to him. They have this pipeline. They have this kind of set up. And, and I think that it's, it's at least worth keeping an eye on. It seems like they might have got in too late. He might already have some schools in mind. He already ha- might have some connections built with some other programs. Might not ended up be might not end up being a guy who comes to Gonzaga. But anytime they make an offer to somebody who's as raked as highly regarded as he is, again, top thirty prospect by basically every recruiting service in that twenty twenty five class, six foot five guard, long, really athletic guy playing for overtime elite. I think we got to keep an eye on him here because this could be a really nice heist for Gonzaga if they're able to swoop in uh, over a bunch of other Power Six programs and, and woo him away uh, from staying on the East Coast at a school like Maryland or Auburn or, or Missouri. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today here on the Lockdown Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Don't forget to hit that like button, leave a comment, leave a review on iTunes. Join us on our Discord channel. Again, free to join. There's a link in the show notes. You can click on that in there and hang out with us 24-7. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back later this week with more previews of that Washington game coming up on Saturday. Until then, as always, go Zags.